We have just a few minutes before we close this time, but at a convocation, it's a time for you to be aware of what God is doing in your midst. Because when we think of academics, we often think of something other than discipleship. We think of something other than getting close to Christ. When we think of academics and we think of things like degrees and regalia and all that kind of thing, and all of that has its place, minor place. But for us, when we come to the issue of Virginia Beach Theological Seminary, we are coming to what we believe is the most important time for the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be producing individuals to the body of Christ who can handle the word, who are humble, and can correlate truth to their personal life. So that when they speak, they're not hypocrites. They're actually able to take the living document of scripture and make that alive through the spirit of God in their life. So that when they preach, it's not just the the power of the words and the stringing of the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives together. It is the power of a life. And I think that's the, the beauty of the gospel of Matthew as I'm teaching this semester in seminary. As I'm just thinking through Matthew and his life and what God did with him. Look at chapter 9, if you will, and, and verse number 9. Here you have the statement of Matthew about his own salvation experience. Where he said this, And Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth and He said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Luke 5, 28 says, he left everything and followed him. Jesus initiates and Matthew obeys. This is discipleship. It's not hard. You don't need a formula. You don't even need a six-week class. Here it is. Jesus calls, you obey. Scripture states it. I apply it. Truth, life. Put them together. This is discipleship. When I come to this text, I want you to know that this is not easy. I mean, to say to Matthew, Matthew, get up, follow me. All of a sudden, we have all kinds of questions. But, you know, I've got plans. I've got, an, I've got this agenda. I've got this schedule to keep. And I've got a job. How do I support myself? It's interesting that in chapter 10, turn to chapter 10, verse number one, it says he called to him 12 disciples. We know about five of them. Two were called brothers and two more brothers. All four of them called in chapter two. Now you have Matthew. So you got five. And so he's going to add seven more to these. And so he calls to him the 12 disciples, verse number two. He terms them apostles, sent ones. And so he commissions them. If you know anything about the gospel of Matthew, there are five messages. And all of Matthew is built around the five messages of Jesus Christ. Sermon on the Mount, 5 to 7. Chapter 10, the mission sermon. Chapter number 13, the parable sermon. Chapter 18 is the the humble way we are to treat our brothers as we, in, in community. And then chapter 24 and 25 is the end time. So you have these five messages. No other place in all the world do you get five full length messages of Jesus than right here in the Gospel of Matthew. But the second message, as Jesus speaks to his apostles, 
Turn to the end of his message in verse 37, 38, and 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Did you catch that? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, that man will find it. That woman will find it. So when we talk about the issue of discipleship in the gospel of Matthew, we are talking about a man that was called of God from his tax booth, which is not a very high place of society, looked upon by others as, I really want to grow up and be a tax collector. But you have this man who heard Jesus initiated, Jesus Christ looked at him and said, Matthew, you come after me. And Matthew, at that moment, with the authority of the words of Jesus Christ, stands up and Luke 5 says, leaves everything and goes after him. And then chapter 10, he puts in the way that he lays out, as he lays out the gospel, he puts in here these words as he heard Jesus speak. You want to be worthy of me? Then you have to love me above everything else. You want to be worthy of me? Then here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to look at everything in life and put that subordinate to who I am. Oh, and by the way, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. If not, you're not worthy of me. This never left Matthew. Look at chapter 16, if you will. Chapter 16, verse 21, which is a turning point in the gospel of Matthew. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And the chiefs, the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And then Peter takes him aside. He's going to counsel Jesus. We're going to have a counseling thing coming up. So here it is. Peter's going to counsel him. Far be it from you, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said these words, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Now notice what he says. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Matthew had come to a place as he captures in his gospel what it means to be one who follows Jesus Christ. Matthew had in his, had somehow captured in his life, in his very existence, as he heard Jesus preach, as he watched Jesus move in life. He had captured this idea that if I'm going to be a disciple, it will not be easy. It will not be easy. I mean, I think the, the, the song today that everyone is singing, whether they realize it or not, comes from the Lion King. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. I mean, we're just not going to have any worries. We're going to be problem free. We're going we're, we're to be moral. We're going to be good. And we don't want anybody just sort of to come into my world and, and, and disturb it. No doctor is going to come into my world and disturb it. No, no person is going to come into my, my world and disturb it. I just, I just, want, I just want a problem-free life. And, I, and I, I, will, I will follow you, Lord. Turn back, if you will, to chapter number 8 of Matthew. 
And look, if you will, at verse number 18. Jesus saw a crowd and he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm in. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. It's an amazing statement. Jesus doesn't say to him, I don't think you're really in. I can see your heart. But he touched the very core of this scribe by saying to him, you know, your life is a lot different than my life. It's a life that's well padded. But my life is not like that. In fact, look at the animal kingdom. Foxes have holes and birds of the air at least have a nest. But where's my home address? And another says to him in verse 21, Lord, first of all, I've got to go bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. You see, as you work through Matthew, Matthew, I think, is a manual on discipleship in many ways. And when I think when you work through Matthew, you come to a realization. And here was a guy that really came to grips to what it really meant to follow Christ. And it's going to cost you some. I'll tell you what it's going to cost you, brothers and sisters. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost every dream that you have. It's going to cost every penny that you have. It's going to cost every person in your home. That's a disciple going hard after Jesus Christ. It's going to cost you something. It's not going to be a life of ease. So do you want to sign up? (laughs) I mean, you know, you want to sign up. There's one other thing that really challenges me, and with this I'll close. Turn, if you will, back to chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first sermon that Jesus preached. And just as you think about this whole idea of discipleship, what's interesting to me is that in chapter 5, Jesus is going to deal with with six hot ticket items in Jewish theology And he's going to correct their thinking because here's what Jesus is concerned about. Jesus is very concerned about those who are disciples, but they are disciples for the moment. They're temporary disciples vis-a-vis those who are disciples and genuine disciples that are going to be committed for life. And that's what you're going to see this throughout the Gospels as you read distinctively in Matthew and as you read horizontally from Matthew to John. You are going to see this in the Gospels that a word disciple does not mean somebody on his way to heaven. It means for that moment he's following after Christ. But you're going to read John chapter 6 and many disciples left him. Isn't that they lost their salvation? They never were committed in the first place. They were amazed at how he could turn this into food. So they're going to follow him. But Jesus is looking for more than that. And so what Jesus constantly is dealing with is helping people to correlate in their personal life truth. He does it six times in Matthew in chapter 5. Look at verse 21. He said, you've heard that it was said by those you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. Okay? So I can, I can take care of this. And we say, I don't murder. And now Jesus is going to correlate this to your personal life. You want to be a disciple? Listen to this. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, not enemy. Whoever is angry with his brother, you are liable. In fact, it's so important. Skip down to verse 24 or verse 23. If you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother 
has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go first be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. I mean, you talk about taking truth and making it real in life. So you could say, oh yeah, I've never murdered. Really? How about angry with your brother, angry with your sister? Jesus correlates this and says, anger is so offensive to me. Your, Your inner anger that comes, springs out of your bitterness. It's so offensive to me. If you know that somebody is angry with you, it's, you've got to help them out. You got to help them. They're, they're, they're sort of shackled. So go to them and then you can come and you can, you can pray to me. You can talk to me. You can offer your gift on the altar. Look at the second hot button. He moves from this anger to sexual purity. Don't commit adultery. You've heard this said, but I say whoever looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, here's anger and here's sexual purity. These are, these are hot buttons in Jewish theology, but they're hot buttons on our church today. He moves on from there to marriage. Verse 31, you've heard it said. Whoever divorces his wife, give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery if she remarries. And whoever marries a divorced woman, you commit adultery. So Jesus is taking these hot button issues. And he is saying, I want you to understand that truth is not just there. So that you can have this plumb line and say, oh, that really looks good. Or have a doctrinal statement. Oh, yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. You see, truth is not like a dusty reference book in the library. That about once a year you go and you pull it off just to look up something and then you put it back on the shelf. What Jesus wants is for you to take truth and to build the bridge into your life. And so that means this. When we speak of murder, Jesus says, what I'm really talking about is not the physical outward act. I'm talking about your heart. On the inside, when you have anger to someone, you hate them. You are full of bitterness. You have assassinated them in your heart. That's wrong. And when somebody is shackled, you go help them. If you, if you know that, you go help them because they can't get out of it by themselves. Sexual purity, yes. Marriage, yes. What about honesty? That's the fourth hot button. Verse 33. Here's transparency, honesty. Again, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. I say to you, don't even take an oath at all, either by heaven, that's the throne of God, by earth, that's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, that's the place of Jesus, the city of the great king. Don't take an oath. Look at verse 37. Let it simply be this. When you say yes, you mean yes. And when you say no, you mean no. And all it takes from you is a handshake and you say, okay, I will, I will mow that lawn. That's all it takes. I will do this. That's all it takes. See, he moves to these hot button items so that he wants his disciples to be Fully transparent and honest individuals. Your yes means yes. Your no means no. You need nothing else. How about your grace? Some texts have retaliation. I like the word grace. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist one who is evil. He gives you four illustrations. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other. Two, if anyone 
would sue you, give him your cloak as well. Three, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go second. Fourth, if somebody begs from you, don't refuse them. I mean, you want to be people of grace? And then the final one is, what about enemies? <laughs> what about enemies? You've heard that it was said, you will love your neighbors and hate your enemies. I want to tell you, love your enemies and pray for them that persecute. You know what, you know what that means? It means this. When you love your enemies, you literally show, display, you demonstrate to them, you demonstrate to them, Jesus Christ, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You demonstrate the Father. You demonstrate the Son. You do this publicly. But you also do something privately. You pray for them. Praying for those who persecute you. And in this way, you are mimicking the idea, your Father who is in heaven. What is your Father in heaven like? Well, that's what he does. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. I mean, just because there's two farmers next to each other, one curses God and the other goes to church and loves the Lord. <laughs> he doesn't say, okay, now here's what I do. I'm going to put a line right here and all the sun shines on this side. Darkness on that side. All the rain's on this side. Barren on this side. No, he doesn't do that. Think of your heavenly father. I want you to mimic him. Verse 48, which is the capstone to it, is I want you to be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. I want you to manifest the kind of spirit that when people look at your lives, they see truth demonstrated in your life. This is discipleship so that the world will know our father in heaven really lives. And how does he end the gospel of Matthew? Would you turn to chapter 28? And that's a great passage of scripture, Matthew 28. Now, 11 disciples went to Galilee, verse 16, a mountain that Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubting. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and what are the next words? Make what? Make disciples. What's the next two words? Of all nations. Now, wait a second. Verse 16 says there's 11 disciples. And verse number 19 says, all nations, impossible. 11 disciples, and by the way, verse 17 says, some are worshiping and some are doubting. They, they aren't even cohesive themselves. So here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is this, is that I'm going to use you to be disciple makers to all the nations of the earth. And you're looking at this motley crew of people who can't decide, should we doubt, should we worship, should we worship, should we doubt? But these words spring out to us because we know as we move beyond the Gospels into the next 30 years of church history, and it's encompassed by Dr. Luke in a book called Acts of the Apostles. And you read in Acts of the Apostles and you see how the, the Word of God is just increasing and explodes and grows and moves forward. And God does incredible things as pagans become disciples. 
Now, men and women, can I say this to you as we close? The purpose of the convocation is to bring us face to face with reality. We are here for a purpose. And that purpose is the kind of purpose so that when you stand before Jesus Christ, you're going to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful slave. That's what I want you to hear. That's what I want to hear. So what's going to, what, how is that going to work itself out? Here's how it's going to happen is that there's going to be a lot of Matthews here. And what I love about Matthew is his past life was terrible. Tax collectors, sinners, and harlots, all of that together in Matthew. That was his lifestyle. And through the power of the gospel, there is an absolute total change. And he didn't get it for three years. He was part of that group of guys that was really struggling, closest to Jesus, trying to figure all this out. And the patience of God. And then the spirit within, when the spirit descends at the ascension of Jesus, it, people begin to explode with the gospel of Christ. And average people, people that were carrying baggage as far as you can see, but because of the gospel have been cleansed by Jesus Christ, are now telling other people, hey, you know what? You need to bow your knee to the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. Make disciples. And, and that's what this is really about. You see, brothers and sisters, a PhD will never qualify anybody to teach anywhere. A master of divinity will never qualify anybody by itself to stand in a pulpit and preach. It's not degrees. All a degree proves is you've got tenacity. You're going to make it through. I'm going to beat this professor before he beats me. I'm going to make it through. <laughs> but as you open, as these students open up the word of God and things come alive, the expression of that, the overflow of that is that people's lives are going to be impacted in a powerful way. But what a joy for this church. I mean, week after week, we're listening to an incredible pastor open up the word to us in 1 Corinthians right now. We're going through 1 Corinthians. And, you know, is this, is this are, do you know that you're coming face to face with God through his word? And do you know what God's going to say to you? He's, he's saying to you, listen, I want you to follow me. And sometimes it isn't pretty. And sometimes it's very difficult. But well done, good and faithful slave. Brothers and sisters, it's a joy to uh, be on this campus, to be with you. Um, I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to flake out. I don't want you to be a temporary disciple. When the sun's up and the rain is light and the wind is breezy and everything is great, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. No. So as you pray for students and as students pray for you, as we pray for one another, may God help us to be a true and genuine disciple. Jesus calls. We obey.